Well, you probably remember the famous story that Solomon prayed for wisdom. And God granted him wisdom, and he became one of the wisest people of his time or of all time. I wonder if maybe he saw his father's skill at uh, battle and at governance, but also saw how devastating some of his personal decisions impacted his family and his kingdom. Maybe he saw his brother Absalom striving to take the throne and meeting a violent end. But either way, whatever his motivation was, God answered his prayer. Now, wisdom, or in the Hebrew scriptures, chokmah, is a complex concept that isn't easily defined with precision. In English, we have sometimes defined knowledge as having information or knowing something. And wisdom is having the ability to apply or use that knowledge. Well, in Hebrew, chokmah likewise carries layers of meaning. Wisdom is knowledge applied to practice. It could be knowing and having the skill to craft something beautiful from bronze or wood, as it is sometimes used in the Old Testament scriptures. Or it could be knowing and successfully managing your finance as well. But there's also another angle on this little gem that is the most important one when we judge its value. Chokmah is also measured against doing things as ordered by God's plan. Acting or behaving or creating in a way that reflects God's intent for his creation. Doing what is right and what is just. So to truly express wisdom in your life requires skillful application of the knowledge and instruction you've received from your elders performed with a careful attention to God's purpose. Now, the Bible is brutally honest about the consequences of not wisdom, which is often called foolish or foolishness or folly in the Proverbs. The way of not wisdom or not God is anger, pain, and death. And the writers of the Old Testament narrative didn't hesitate to show us this in dramatic contrast. Solomon, the wisest man who lived, failed in many ways. As he gathered the wisdom in his writings, he ignored many of the Proverbs he wrote or collected and was led into poor decisions in his kingdom and his personal life. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified as a woman calling out for people to turn away from foolishness and learn her valuable ways. And this brought to mind the mission of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 3, we read, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now Solomon, like David and all who are alive today, are doomed to devastating failure without the guidance of God's Spirit. To know is not sufficient. To seek reproof and chase discipline as we follow his leading is that third moral part of wisdom that all the world's self-help books and TED Talks can never provide. Hidden beneath the surface of these learned instructions and pleas is the reality that they alone will get you no closer to the kingdom of God. You must seek wisdom, with a capital W, which means you must seek the Spirit. You must seek the Savior. You must seek the Creator who wove chokmah into the very fabric of creation. Now, as we saw last week in the introductory video, Proverbs as a book is arranged with the first section 
demonstrating a little bit how to apply the remainder of the book. So the first, um, the first nine chapters are sort of the introduction, and in these first seven chapters, we find ten speeches that are written with instruction from a father to a son. Those are what we will talk about today. Then they're also woven into those scriptures four poems from Lady Wisdom, personified, calling out to the people to turn away from foolishness. Then the, the heart of the book is a vast number of ancient sayings and wisdom that we know as the Proverbs, many one or two line statements or riddles or thoughts or observations. Um, so the last week of the month, Bob will host a discussion where we'll be able to look at those more closely. Um, and then there's also a section at the end that we're not covering in detail, but where there's some writings from King Lemuel and uh, also Agar, which uh, Nick will talk about in uh, two weeks, where he expresses his doubt that he really can understand wisdom, and he learns how to read and uh, accept the wisdom of God. So today we're going to focus on those 10 speeches to, our, to the Son, um, we'll just think of it as if we're the father trying to instruct our son. But we'll begin, um, and yes, on the screen you can see there's a list of where these 10 speeches are if you want to write those references down. You can also find this list probably if you search online. Or if you read very carefully through the first seven chapters, you can find where we're talking to the son and where the, the poems of Lady Wisdom are occurring. But we'll start, before any study of Proverbs, I think we have to start with the first seven verses in the book, which very clearly tells us what the purpose of the book is. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I guess if he's the wisest person who ever lived, writing that introduction doesn't seem daunting for the book you're about to put together, but it's definitely a tall task. Um, today, uh, we'll, as we focus on those speeches to our son, um, I read through those verses, and even though there are a lot of different themes, there were five specific ones that stood out to me that I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Um, and as you read through those scriptures, you'll probably see some other themes, uh, themes like diligence and work and uh, relationship with neighbors and financial arrangements. Some of those things appear that we won't cover today. But the five themes that I want to talk about today that I noticed were the wisdom of elders resisting evil, sexual integrity, wisdom as a precious adornment, and perhaps most important of all, the source of wisdom. So in our culture today, we hold what is new and what is different in very high regard. If, even if we apply a very careful consideration to our finances and we don't upgrade to the newest device or adopt the most modern opinion, I think we often still feel like that we must be missing something because we've been stuck with what is known and what is familiar. But the culture and tradition that produced the wisdom literature, um, Solomon, uh, the, the writings of Solomon and uh, the book of Job, they had an almost entirely opposite view of things. So what was tested, what was proven, 
What was handed down from experienced elders carried a very heavy weight. And what was new and unproven was considered somewhat suspect. Now, if we think of Paul's advice to take everything in moderation, maybe our best approach is somewhere between those two, evaluating what is new against what is old. But I think today in our culture, it's safe to say that we could stand to see a dramatic movement towards honoring and respecting the wisdom of our elders and our tradition. A few moments in the Father's speech highlight this value specifically, and it's also reflected later in the collection of Proverbs. So in Proverbs 1, 8 to 9, this first speech begins, and we hear him say, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forget not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Later in the book, we hear these verses that you probably know very well. In Proverbs 29, 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Another speech from the father in chapter 4, he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words keep my commandments, and live. I really like that one because he's calling on the wisdom he learned from his father. So we're really hearing a grandfather's message to a grandson. Chapter 17, verse 6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And I think we can relate to that. It's a joy to see your children with children, and you can relax into that hope and that joy and recall what it was like to have your children on your lap. But here's the part we don't really ever think about and we don't really accept in today's culture. And the glory of children is their fathers. How often do children run around saying, my father is the best, once they're maybe 10 or older? (laughs) We kind of lose sight of that. We kind of lose sight of that respect and that honored wisdom. Another theme that I saw in these speeches that was stressed maybe the most consistently by the father is the message to resist evil. So as a young man, the allure of falling in with a certain crowd of other young men seeking adventure and pleasure without any concerns for others must have been quite a draw. And if you read these speeches in their entirety, you see a picture painted that this path of convenient evil leads to men who deliberately seek evil. And those who seek evil are ultimately found by it. (coughs) Chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Then in chapter 15, or verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. In chapter 3, verse 29 through 32, he's told to not plan evil against his neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. 
Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. He's told again in chapter 4, verse 14 through 19, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And in verse 24 through 27 He's told, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the left or to the right. Turn your foot away from evil. So he's been given a very strong admonition of the danger of following this allure. That what seems to benefit in the short term or bring excitement results in death, it results in darkness, it results in confusion, so that these men who live in violence don't even know why their life is so hard. But we're given a promise in chapter 2, verse 10 through 15. He's told, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of right, uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So he's told if wisdom's coming into his heart that he will be able to avoid this outcome. Now, in these speeches, an experienced, wizened father is attempting to direct his young son to the right path. Is there a more promising yet treacherous wilderness for a young man to face than that of sex? We know from Paul's writings that sexual integrity was often a key characteristic of a follower of Jesus. It marked them as upright and different, and yet he had to keep admonishing them to pursue that purity. Song of Songs, which is closely related to the wisdom books, extols the excitement and adventure as well as joy of lovers in the peak of desire. Proverbs recognizes this intrinsic value and purpose, but no young man needs convinced that it is a good thing. So in the eighth speech, the father is cautioning his son that releasing yourself to behave like the beasts and seek passion for its own sake only leaves destruction in your wake. In chapter five, where he primarily is discussing this topic, we'll read a a selection of verses here. In verse 3, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. In verse 6, She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. In verse 8, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. In verse 11, At the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? He dies for lack of discipline 
and because of his great folly, he is led astray. That was verse 23. Now, in the ninth speech, there's an interesting verse that could be read more than one way, especially in English. In chapter 6, 25 through 26, he's told, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. So purely surface reading might seem to indicate that the father is telling his son, if you can't control your desires, at least seek a prostitute rather than a married woman. Another way verse 26 can be read is sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. But I think what he's actually highlighting here is the tremendous value of the marriage relationship. He's encouraging his son to practice sexual integrity by reserving his honor for his wife, but an even greater affront to the order of creation than cheap sexual engagements is shattering a marriage covenant, whether you are the adulteress or her lover. Marriage is a spiritual relationship reflecting Israel's relationship with God, and that covenant is sacred, eternal, and worth more than any fleeting moment the forbidden woman promises. The father also points out the foolishness of seeking cheap thrills when true satisfaction can be found at home. In Proverbs 5, 15 through 20, he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Here a wife is called flowing water, recalling the river of life that was promised in the next age and the words Jesus spoke about being the water of life. We've been created to build relationships, and this one particularly brings life itself to each partner. Where a wife is life-giving water, the forbidden woman intoxicates but leaves her lover empty and parched. Proverbs 31.10 this, um, when King Lemuel was writing this, uh, these words, he said, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. But just before a young man despairs at that seemingly impossible question, in chapter 19, verse 14, we're told that house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Like the rest of Proverbs, when chapter 31 describes an excellent wife, there is much unwritten between the lines. They are calls to a standard for King Lemuel's mate as taught by his mother. But before we laugh and roll our eyes at this mother-in-law's outrageous standard for his son's wife, remember that no men are likely to have fully lived up to the preceding standards in the other verses in Proverbs. Her instructions closed with the capstone or the cipher or the key to which all others depend. In 30, chapter 31, verse 30, she told King Lemuel, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if King Lemuel chose a woman who met this one standard, then like it says in Proverbs 12:4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, wisdom will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. 
So wisdom is portrayed as a precious object, especially an adornment that displays the value you carry. Wisdom is both precious and a substantial part of one's wealth, but it's also obvious to others when you wear it. Verses 8 and 9 in chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Chapter 2, verse 4, however, tells us that if it's precious and valuable, it's not something that you can just come by easily. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Like all precious jewels, you have to seek them. You have to care for them, and you have to protect them. Chapter 6, verse 20 and 21 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. And then in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Now, if I were to walk towards you and quickly poke my finger at your face, you would instinctively blink or turn your head away or throw up your hand to protect yourself. The apple of your eye or the pupil is precious and sensitive. You wouldn't even hesitate to keep anything away from it. We must treat wisdom the fear of God, or living well with the same reflexive protection. When he hears the words of the other young men calling him to violence, or the smooth words of the forbidden woman luring him to her house, the wise man requires no thought or deliberation, but immediately turns his foot away from evil. Proverbs 3, 21 and 22, he's told, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Of course, seeking wisdom is really no source of hope if we don't know where we can find it. And I love this verse in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, because it hints that merely seeking wisdom is a sign that you're already on the right track. You're already separating yourselves from the paths of the foolish and the wicked. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, Get insight. The act of pursuing it already is separating you from the paths of the violent and the foolish. Chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to see if you recognize this phrase in the, these phrases in the beginning from our lessons in the past. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones." Do not trust in your own thoughts. What do the wise elders say? What do the scriptures say? Where is the spirit guiding you? Wisdom comes from the Lord. This passage calls us to steadfast love and faithfulness, which are attributes of God. 
We must seek his favor and then pass it on to others, acknowledging him, honoring him, and turning from evil brings life. And as Jesus wanted to know, it's a life that's more important and more valuable than the physical life we carry in our bodies. It's a life that we can obtain for eternity. Chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him when he lo- whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And then later in verse 21 through 24, he said, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And even later in chapter 3, verse 34 and 35, he says, Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And in chapter 4, verses 20 through 23, he encourages him, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And in 3.18, we're told that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So we heard wisdom called a tree of life. Wisdom is God's sovereign order for the universe his unified plan for everything. And this was represented by the tree of, the life, of life in the garden. Partaking of it was taking part in his plan. But the tree of good and evil carried the opposite of wisdom, foolishness, or living in man's sovereign order. Partaking of it was taking part in man's plan. The key to understanding Proverbs is that it tells us how to partake in the tree of life and live in God's plan. It won't always make sense in this world where so many are feeding at the tree of good and evil. But this world is often an illusion. Her smooth words lead to death. This verse also carries an implication that by taking part in wisdom, we can live in his kingdom right now. So the admonishment in the Proverbs, and especially in these speeches from the Father, is to listen to the Spirit Heed the wise elders, turn away from evil, and eat freely from the tree of life.